Hello, boys and ghouls. Kat here. Welcome to episode 10 of our Behind the Screens series. Episode 10! I can't believe this is the 10th one, and I hope you're enjoying listening to these interviews as much as I enjoy putting them together. So, I always introduce this series by saying that in Boys and Ghouls Behind the Screams, we are exploring the world of fear, shock, and horror by talking to tastemakers in the genre. I can say without question that the guest for this episode fits that bill better than anyone I've interviewed so far. So I was lucky enough to sit down with John Schnitzer, director of the fantastic documentary Haunters, The Art of the Scare. I love this movie. So John spent a ridiculous amount of time, money, energy, blood, sweat, tears making this movie, and I encourage you, if you haven't seen it, pause this right now and go watch it. It's on Netflix, iTunes, hauntersmovie.com. Just go watch it so you can fully enjoy this interview with one of the most passionate filmmakers and horror fans I have ever met. Okay, so here's my interview with John Schnitzer. Enjoy. But um, so uh, what we're here to talk about mostly is going to be your document, your incredible documentary, Thank Haunters, you. The Art of the Scare. Thank you. Um, but before we do that, I want to take you through a little questionnaire I like to do with our guests to help people get to know you as a horror fan, okay. as a horror influencer, because that's what this interview series is about, is talking to people who are kind of tastemakers. And so I like finding out what makes people tick. Well, so thank you for calling me this. a tastemaker. Well, I like it. I call them like I see them, John. <laughs> okay. We're going to start. We're going to ratchet it back. What scared you as a child, and what was your first introduction to horror? However you want to take that. What scared me as a child was getting beat up all the time. but um, That's an appropriate answer. It is. I mean, that's also why I like scaring kids in haunted houses, because... I was so little, but I was able to scare the crap out of people. It was so much fun. You So you started uh, scaring people as a scare actor. Well, I started scaring people, I, be- I think the first time I ever dressed up to actually scare people, I was in kindergarten. And I really was obsessed with all things Halloween. Okay, in kindergarten, I went to the Hebrew Academy. Mm-hmm. We were taught by rabbis. Mm-hmm. I... Had a, instead of having a normal like book bag or something, I had a plastic jack-o'-lantern. And so, yeah, I'm walking around with a yarmulke, a Camp Gone Israel shirt, all the, and then the rabbis are going, it's funny, the conversation happened in Hebrew. I remember it in English, so they go, Yonatan? Because Jonathan in Hebrew is Yonatan. They go, Yonatan? What are you doing walking around with a plastic pumpkin? <laughs> You're walking with a plastic pumpkin at the Hebrew Academy? <laughs> and I was like, you know, you know this, is, this is it. I had my little... We had a little Torah in there. <laughs> what a delightfully weird kid. I was obsessed with everything to do with Halloween. The first movie that I was afraid to watch was A Nightmare on Elm Street. And it was really because I'd seen posters and pictures. I saw that one picture 
of uh, Nancy in the bathtub with the claw. And, of course, my mind starts going to, they're going to do something with that claw. Yeah. That's going to be the worst thing ever. I had nightmares Mm -hmm. about Freddy doing things with his claw, peeling my flesh off, you know, just doing terrible. I I had incredible nightmares about Freddy before I ever saw the movie. And I didn't even see it until the, um, the fifth grade. And I was at my friend's house for a, a sleepover, and he had Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm like, oh my God, this is, let's just put it on. Let's yeah. get it over with. Wow, that and was your reaction. Let's do it. I just want to see this thing. And I thought, look, if I don't, if I can't handle it, we'll just turn it off. He, put, he puts the movie on, and I just fell in love with Nightmare on Elm Street immediately. It's one of those things where it's like, especially with Nightmare on Elm Street, the thing about horror films, especially like movies like Nightmare on Elm Street, where there's this surreal, a big aspect of surrealism to it, is that it's like, for me, I really was like the perfect kids movie to me because Freddy is, he's both scary and he's going to make you laugh. You root for him because you want to see what creative weird kill he's going to do, but you want him to get killed. Yeah. And it's so obnoxious. It's so over the top. Like the fact that they would just dump leaves into the high school hallways to let you know this is a dream how many times have you had a dream where one thing was off and then once you notice that one weird thing everything felt like slow motion what scares you now i still get scared watching horror movies and i love that and if a horror movie really scares me then i want to wait a while before i watch it again because i want it to i really want to I want that potency. Yeah. I want to like. I want it to really get me again. Sure. And no, what really scares me is um, groupthink. When you get a group of people together, and they start accepting an ideology, and no matter what, they'll go down that path, even if they have the good intentions and they think what they're doing is right. You know what? The best horror film that really embodies that. Um, there's a lot of good horror movies that do that, but this is one that doesn't get enough appreciation. Um, oh my god, I think it was in two thousand four, The Signal, not the new, the one that was just a few years ago with Lawrence Fishburne, okay. not that movie. I, I don't think I've the, seen this. Okay, The Signal. Okay, you're gonna have to watch this. I'm putting it on my watch list. Watch Keep talking it. now. Again, it's not the Lawrence Fishburne one. Got it. It's a totally different movie. What The Signal is? It was actually three different uh, groups of writer directors that decided instead of making like an anthology horror film, they made a movie with the same characters with a beginning, middle, and an end. And that's the signal. Okay. You got it. And it's so cool because it's the idea is this, that there's a signal that's let out on TVs and on radios that just comes out. And then all of a sudden, people just start killing each other. Oh, that's so right? scary. Now, what's so fun is this. The first story, it was just like, so realistic and so creepy and you're biting your fingernails while you're watching it then the second story same characters same same character concept just a different director it's the same you're watching if no one told you you would just think you're watching a movie the beginning a middle and an end Mm -hmm. that just that all of a sudden the tone changes so the middle of the movie becomes really crazy horror comedy and in the horror comedy part of it you start to see what the people are seeing as they become infected by the signal. And they believe 
that what they're doing to you is for your own oh, good. They're no. trying to help you. Oh, no. And that's why they're so voracious about it. They're, they don't want to hurt you. Yeah. They're trying to help you. Yeah. It's like the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> exactly. You know what? They, all they, they just want to save your soul. Um, all right. What is your favorite horror movie of all time? Do you have a favorite? It's always a Nightmare on Elm Street because it was my first. All right. Um, what do you think is the scariest movie of all time? One of the scariest movies ever, The Descent. Oh my God. I just watched that for the first time a couple months ago. I know, I know. Oh my God. I'm, I'm, there, I've got a lot on my shame list, but I just watched The Descent finally. Were you by and yourself it, when you watched it? Yeah. Yeah, me too. The totally first time I saw it, I was lived by up myself. to expectations. It's Everyone had so... built it up for years and years, and I was like, this is, plus, like, it just tugged at me, like, these, like, badass women and, like, working through shit. And I was like, oh my God, no wonder people talk about this movie all the time. It's so good. I mean, the, so good. The, the, the Descent is so creepy. Because if they didn't ever had a monster in that movie, if there were no creatures in that movie, the claustrophobia mm-hmm. in that movie felt so real. And then the feeling that your friend brought you in this cave, and it's not the correct cave, and there is no plan, and you're actually trapped, and the idea that you may never see daylight again was such a... That was so scary. Like, how as a human do you deal with that kind of knowledge? Like, it's crazy. And it does make... It's palpable. You feel like you're there. And they felt like real people. They all felt real. They all felt like they had a they had a life before the movie even started. So good. Oh, God, it's so I good. love... There's nothing like that experience. No. Um, favorite subgenre? Do you go to slashers? Do you go to monster movies? Oh. What's your thing? I, I know. I mean, I like I like all of them. I mean, I have to say, like... I hate saying that. No one wants to hear that answer. But I mean, I guess if you count up for years and years, it would be like either Supernatural, Slasher. But you know what? God damn it, I love horror comedy. <laughs> horror com- when a horror comedy is done right, and you know what? Get Out, that's a horror comedy. You know, I'm, I'm tired. No thriller. It's not a thriller. No, no, no. This is a horror comedy because it's so, it's just as funny as it is scary. It's really funny. Um, uh, just a couple more. Favorite sequel. Do you have a favorite horror sequel? Aliens. Yep, that's a good answer. That's it. Um, no wrong answers. Favorite franchise. Is it A Nightmare on Elm Street? Man, that's a tough one. That's a really hard answer is telling you my favorite franchise because really Elm Street, it's like I, I can watch Elm Street 1 and Elm Street 3 and New Nightmare over and over again. Yeah. But New Nightmare is top of my list. It's great, except for Freddy's makeup. I hear you. I love his makeup. Stop movie. that. I know. I'm sorry. But do you like Power Rangers also? Uh, no. It's not a bad thing. I did grow up on Power Rangers, but I, I would don't just care. say, <laughs> because it has some kind of like Power Ranger bad guy oh, face. Oh, sure. It, I get that. It no longer has the wetness and the squiggliness. Yeah, it really I like felt- that they were making a choice. I'm fine with it. I'll take it. If that's what I have to deal with to get Wes Craven acting, oh, I'm fine great. with it. He's that was terrible, great. but I love it. You know, it was great, so though. Good. It was yeah. great. I don't know. Yeah, horror franchise is tough, man. Because, I mean, I mean, it, I feel that way about that one. And then when it comes to the Alien franchise, part one and part two are so amazing. And then I actually went crazy for Covenant. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I thought Covenant I, was awesome. I haven't seen it yet. Really? Ooh, I know. I was really bummed about Prometheus. Oh yeah, I I really enjoy Prometheus. It was. So, I hear all the um, so criticisms. I get it. For some reason, it hit me the right way. I what? saw it in theaters, and I remember that that med pod like abortion scene. I almost came out of my seat and out of my skin. And I, for some reason, that just hit me just the right way. And I was like, "This movie's insane." 
fine. I mean, I saw it in 3D, and the oh. visuals were gorgeous. Yeah, it's but, a beautiful movie. But Covenant was just like, you know what? We know what this is. We know what you want. We're going to, you're going to get it. We're That's fun. To- yeah, you don't need to overcomplicate things. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite director? Scorsese was always one of those directors that was like, oh my God, what a crazy genius. I mean, there's so many great directors. It's it's a it's a tricky one. Penelope Spheres. Oh yeah. Oh my God, Wayne's World. I could go on. There's so many great directors. Favorite bad guy? I got too many. I mean, it's always going to be Freddy because he's my first, but it's also going to be Hannibal Lecter from, from Silence. And Hannibal Lecter from the series. Mm-hmm. Because Mads did such a good job. He was so amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Favorite directors. David Fincher, you moron. David Fincher. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Oh my God, David Fincher. <laughs> I can leave him off the list. He's a genius. Great. David Fincher. Oh my God. Works and, for me. Have you see Mindhunter? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, hardest kill for you to watch in a horror movie. Now, you se- you seem like you're a little bit of a gore hound, so I'm not sure you're going to have... Uh, anything that really squicks you out, but, um... Zombie, when they're dragging the head, um, to the piece of wood, and it's getting closer and closer to the eyeball, it, tw- it makes me twinge every single time. Yeesh. So, and anything in Cannibal Hol- Holocaust, that oh, was just so messed wow. up. Oh, wow. Yes, so I up. finally watched that movie. Um, Ugh. why, I, I suggested Marshall and I do a Cannibal episode, uh, because I'd heard of that movie forever, and I was like, well, dude, it'll be cool. And then I'm in the middle of watching that movie, and I'm like, what is, why? Yeah. But I, I was also like. Have you seen Raw like, yet? Have I seen, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. You know, th- what, what's interesting about my experience with Raw, though, is, um, and something I've learned about myself, that I get, movie theater experiences are, are so different from watching something at home, of course. And, um, I, you know, I remember hearing stories about people, like, vomiting and passing out in the aisles watching that movie. And, um. I didn't see it in theaters, uh, but I was going to interview the director, so I got us like a digital screener, and I watched it at home and on my laptop, and really enjoyed it. But I was like, you know, that I having this safety of being able to like, ugh, like pause it if I want to like regroup after something gross, um, which that movie wasn't too bad for me. But I, I kept thinking like, if I were watching this in a theater with a lot of noise and not wanting to leave my seat because I don't want to miss anything, but feeling like I feeling a little overwhelmed by all the visceral stuff, um, like, could I handle it? And I think that's, that is so interesting to me. Cause I, if I, if I'd had, there's no way in hell I would have gone to watch Cannibal Holocaust in a theater. If you could live in any town in a horror movie, what town would it be? Probably I would hang out at that bar from um, from uh, American Werewolf in London. Okay, that's a good answer. I'd hang out at that bar, the Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah. You know, and then when... And then you'd ask a question about the thing on the wall and no, everybody would... I would know. like to be one of those people. So when a tourist comes in, I uh-huh. could just be like, you know, get out of here. Yeah. Beware the boars. Yes. But I'd be the one guy who's like, Maybe let them stay. <laughs> it's dangerous out there. <laughs> Maybe yes. I'd be that guy. Yes. I don't know. Why I can they see ki- you with like a mug of grog. Why did they kick them out in yeah. the first place? I don't know. Just like, what a weird, like. It's so weird. Why are they all out at that bar if they know that there's a werewolf running around the, the property? Wouldn't it be like, it's getting a little late, full moon. I'm staying home. Right. <laughs> like, Maybe why they're is all that... in for the night at the bar. They're like, we'll just stay here and drink all night. Yeah, they have no Safety weapons, though. Numbers. Yeah. Well, actually, no, they did, though. 
They did, because mm. remember, they ran off, and they did have those weapons. There you go. Okay, no, I'm hanging out at that bar. Which is funny, because that's what Shaun of the Dead would do, too. Yes. Edgar Wait Wright. for all of Another this favorite over. director. Edgar Wright. He's so wonderful. Do you know how much I love The World's End? I don't think that movie gets enough credit. It's a great one. It's so, it has so much heart, and it's so funny. It's a And it gets movie. better every single time you see it. It's a great movie, but, like, the, it's almost like the problem with Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead is so good that it's, like... Shaun of the Dead is such a, it's such a perfect movie. It's so perfect that I, I can imagine, like, it's, when you're watching any of his other movies, you always have a little Shaun of the Dead in the back of your mind. Yeah. The only time I, did, I didn't have that in the back of my mind at all was Baby Driver because it was just so it's different. It's so different, yeah. But Shaun of the Dead blew my mind. Yeah. I just couldn't get over, again, another horror comedy that was so funny. Yeah. And... But actually had horror in it. When they rip that guy apart with the glasses, he's actually ripping him apart. And yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. That was crazy. It's it's disgusting and scary and also like made me cry. You care about the characters. It's crazy. You care about the characters no matter how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And when his friend does that little, you know, you know, Sean, he goes, yes. And then he farts. And Sorry, then he, Sean. That was yeah. like. I was dying. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, why am I getting emotional over this I know. movie? And Edgar I know. Wright's a genius. That's He's why. a genius. He's yeah. great. Um, speaking of caring about characters in a movie, I want to mosey on over to your film. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, your your film. I need to know what made you s- decide. You s- told me that you had not directed, uh, well, I don't know what you've directed or not directed, but you would never obviously done a feature length documentary. This is my first time doing a feature film. How do you decide to do that, and how did you make that happen? That's a good question. I mean, really, I went to film school years ago, and the plan was always to make movies. You know, and even when I was in film school, I made some crazy stuff. I did a film that, oh my god, it was so ridiculous. Um, It was on, on film. Like, I shot on film. I did a film called The Mime Assassin, because I didn't have enough money for props or anything. And it was a silent movie where these guys are going to beat up a mime, and then the mime would pantomime these weapons and start killing everybody with the weapons. And that was really a... That was such a fun, weird little project. And then I did this one called Bob Peckerwood about a guy who makes the worst movies ever. And one of his movies, which I always thought would have been a great movie that I should just make one day is a Rabbi Shlomo, the Jewish Avenger, and his super Jewish friends. <laughs> his sideburns are switchblades. He's got exploding yarmulkes. And it was wow. it was awesome because the guy I got to play Rabbi Shlomo was um, uh, Hal Landon Jr. from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He's Keanu Reeves' father. Who's oh, like, my God. You're going to that military Yes, school. he's so good. I grew up at South Coast Repertory. I was a, a professional actor when I was a kid. And I just thought he was one of the greatest actors of all time. And Richard Doyle, one of the other founding members of that group, he played Bob Pecker. I had these like serious award-winning actors in my student film. And then I convinced like the Aquabats. This was like during the 90s ska mm-hmm. stuff. They gave me some music. I, went, I always was obsessed with like great music and putting that in movies. And then I went to, uh, that was at Orange Coast College. And then I went to Chapman Film and at Chapman, it was so funny. I did an intro to TV project that was completely insane. It was called the Rubber Chicken Society Show. And it really was complete insanity. I, I, I went to the, the Playboy Mansion because they were filming 
Toxic Avengers Citizen Toxie. Mm-hmm. I convinced Lloyd Kaufman to let me film the behind the scenes. And I told him, Lloyd, I'm doing an intro to TV project. I'm int- this is really going to be amazing. It's for Chapman. And he's like, who's going to see it? I said, dozens. Dozens will see this. Did he like that answer? He loved it. And I said, this is not advanced, by the way. I want to let you know. This is intro to TV. And there'll be a lot of introductory mistakes. And he thought that was so funny that I was just being so honest. (laughs) And then so did everyone. You're like, I don't have any idea what the fuck I'm doing. And he's like, you're you're, you're allowed to do this. And he let me, like, felt so I'm hanging out on the behind the scenes of Citizen Toxie. We, um... I went to this one bar, and there was the best Neil Diamond impersonator of all time. And I was like, you're going to be the house band. And he was like, Neil Diamond. It was, I had my dad in the front row, and every once in a while I'd cut down. I'm like, Dad, are you, are you disappointed? And he's like, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Like, this is your money. It's film school. So my, my plan was always to get into, you know, making movies. But it's so funny because sometimes you take such a strange path in life, and you, go, you end up doing a million other different things. So then when it finally came, I, I eventually created my own, uh, created a company called The Brain Factory. Mm-hmm. And as The Brain Factory, I um, created 3D and interactive experiences. My first client was Tim Burton. So I did, um, I produced some really th- cool 3D stuff. I teamed up my favorite 3D artists of all time um, to do this stuff. I'll, I'll answer your movie, but, uh, the question about the movie, but this is just so, this is like such a funny thing. When I was... In elementary school, I saw this 3D comic book, and on the back it said, if you want to learn how to do 3D or you want something to turn into 3D, call Ray 3D Zone. And I called the number, and it was, it was like, hi, it's Ray. I'm like, oh, my God, the guy who did the 3D in the comic book. And I was like, hi, I want something in 3D. He's like, what is it, like four by six? I'm like, sure. He's like, I think it was, he said it was like $300. I'm like, I don't have that kind of money. He's like, put your dad on the phone asked for the address, sent me a box of, like, the coolest 3D stuff. I was, you know, what, 11? Cute. And anyways, I reached out to him and said, I got my own 3D company now. How I I met him because uh, I went to the Magic Castle. I told the magician I loved 3D so much. He goes, oh, I know the best 3D guy ever. I'm like, who? He's like, Ray Zone. I'm like, Ray Zone? You're like, I know who that is? And he introduced me to him. So it was so funny because, like, I thought, I'll form this company, I'll do 3D, I'll become an expert, and I'll make a 3D movie. But then once I'm like, I'm ready to do a 3D movie, it's like 3D's like on its way out. I'm like, oh no. So then I was like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to make a virtual reality project in 3D and make it insane. Once I can get the money. Mm -hmm. That's on the back burner. Mm -hmm. Then I'm going to make, first, a documentary. Because I love documentaries. To me, what's so great about them is that they are the doorway to a subculture you would never be able to access unless you hung around for at least years and years and years, gained everyone's trust, and then you get to go behind the scenes. Right. Someone else does this for you, and you get to benefit. Well, and also, I think what I'm hearing you say is like, so there are all these kind of detours and things, but for you, I, all of it informs what you ultimately do, whether exactly. or not it's the right, whether or not it's the path you think it's going to it, take. Exactly, because what I ended up doing in 2011, I knew all the guys that did the 3D for um, The Amazing Spider-Man. And I was like, hey guys, let's go to Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights and film it in 3D. And I convinced Universal to let me do it. We bring this... They borrow this rig. It's like an $80,000 rig. We filmed Guillermo del Toro in 3D. 
we filmed a bunch of mazes in 3D. I start telling everyone, you know, I post online that I'm doing this 3D behind the scenes of Universal. I filmed it one night. And this amazing colorist reached out to me that specializes in 3D color. And he did something on it. It was all for free. We did this for nothing. Yeah. And we thought it'd be fun. And it was funny because after I did that, then I was like, I really want to do a documentary. And I really want to do a documentary on, on haunted houses for Halloween. Because I just love the art behind it. And I want to tell the stories behind it. And then I, I just got so excited about the idea of showing the scope of it. And originally, I had a much different movie in my mind. Because I know my friend Donald that I grew up with. And when he first told me, I have a haunted house with my family, you should come check it out. I was like, oh, there's no way I'll go there. I grew up with you. I mean, the first time I met his brother, he tied us up with duct tape and threw lawn darts at us. You're like, I don't trust you. Exactly. I'm not going to go anywhere near there. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 they've really changed. I'm like, I don't care how they've changed. I'm not going to go to the Manson family haunted house. This is not <laughs> happening. And when I, years later, I finally went and I saw that his haunted house brought his family together. A dysfunctional, I mean, this is a, a really dysfunctional family that... They were arrests were made. This is the the guy who has the older brothers who really fucked him up. Yeah, I remember. He looks like the Terminator when you first see him. Yeah. And he's got the glasses. He's got the dark glasses on. Then you realize he's just a teddy bear. He's a real sweet guy. And to hear the, when you know the story of how crazy that family was and how this haunt brought them together, I really wanted to tell that story. And then he also had, his neighbor had a haunt too that's across the street. And it's really good. And I told Donald, like, oh, your neighbor, you must really get along with him. It's amazing. That, I mean, they've been doing it for a decade across the street from each other. He goes, I don't know that guy. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's the competition. I don't talk to him. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this would be the greatest movie. These two neighbors, they don't talk. I start filming. The next day, he's like, you know what? I introduced myself to him yesterday, and you're right. He seems like a really nice guy. Damn I'm like, it! There goes that movie. Movie's done. So then I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to film as many haunts as I can film. Well, and so I want to... Sure, sure, sure. I want to find out then... So what what got you, what made you want to make a film about haunts in general? What's your relationship to haunted houses? Look, I think I love going to haunts because as an adult, you can go somewhere and scream your head off, freak out. Yeah. And have a, you know, it's a great release. I mean. What's the most extreme haunt you've personally done? Oh, my God. I mean. That's, I mean, personally done or filmed. I mean, like personally well, actually you gone through. Pushed, you pushed, you went deeper into, I asked this because to me, McKamey Manor is like this mountain of like this horrifying thing that like I've been so fascinated by and I couldn't believe the kind of access that you got in this movie. I couldn't either. And um, so I wonder like, is your curiosity uh, for things like that driven by you're like, well, you know, I do this sort of thing, or are you like, no. I could never do that, okay. and I want to I want to pick it apart? Because that's question. why I was so riveted watching your movie, because so, I'm just like, holy shit. It's like, a great question. I'll tell you this much. When I first heard about Blackout and heard that naked people were yeah. waterboarding you, I was like, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would never. Look, I never joined a fraternity because yeah. I didn't want to be hazed. Yeah. I remember thinking, oh, wait a minute. So for a year, someone's going to treat me like garbage, and that means that for them... Th- 
a few more years, I get to treat someone else like garbage. I don't want to do that. That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't sound like fun to me. This is, I'm just not into that whole idea. Yeah. And so when I heard about these extreme haunts, I was like, I would never do them. But I love that they existed because I just thought the idea of them is so crazy. Because growing up, there's always like someone telling you, that's the scariest haunted house of all time. It'll mess you up for life. And then you go. And it's like, well, it was just fun. You know, but I love that there's things that are out there that I'm not willing to do. And for me, the when I started filming the movie and I started like really thinking about those extreme haunts and I thought, you know, I wonder why someone is making that. But I also was wondering, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. How did how did extreme haunts even happen? Because it's been decades and decades of boo scare mazes, of these really great, you know, interactive moments. I remember when I was a kid, you know, there's a part in the movie where Shar talks about, oh, you Char. know, oh, I love her. You know, that's a, okay, that's a thing too. I think I haven't a, stopped thinking about her since I, I saw that movie. I was just on the phone with her oh. earlier today. I mean. What a superstar. The thing was, the thing it's so, I'm so happy about with my movie is that, and it, it took a lot to get it to where it is right now. And it was, it's a real trip. Making a documentary is no joke. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it changes. And the longer you film it, the longer, the more it, it will end up changing. And I actually reached out to some of my favorite documentary filmmakers um, to, as because I wanted mentors. Rodney Asher. Oh, wow. I reached out to him on Twitter. For, the director, you did um, Room 237. Room right? 237 yeah. and mm-hmm. The Nightmare. Oh, yeah. I can't. I'm afraid to watch The that, Nightmare. Okay. I'm too scared hands to watch down, it. Hands down. Hands down. Scariest movie of all time. No, Nightmare. I, I can't I'm going to answer your question now. Hands down. The Nightmare is the scariest movie ever. Uh I have seen it five times. It is so scary. I can't do it. You have to. Because I'm afraid, I I hear too much about like that sort of thing being like contagious the more you talk about it. Like it'll happen happen to me. It didn't happen to me. I'll tell you now. Scare me so bad that when I saw it at South by Southwest and when they start telling you that you're going to start having these nightmares too, and then. I went back to the hotel room and I couldn't go to sleep. Yeah. It kept me up all I'll night. I'll bet. Oh my God. Okay. So I reached out to him and then I reached out to another amazing director that did Indie Game the Movie. Indie Game the Movie is a documentary about independent video game developers. It is so emotional. It's so funny. It's a tearjerker. And you're watching these people sacrificing everything to make this independent video game. All their time, all their energy, all their money. And what's funny is there's something interesting between those two filmmakers that's kind of influencing my movie. Because with my movie, what I wanted badly was I wanted to capture the creative process, but not like step one, you do this, step two, you do that. I don't want that. What I want is like, if the reason why it's called Haunters, the art of the scare, mm-hmm. is because anyone who's created anything ever before knows the word art really means sacrifice. Like, what are you willing to sacrifice to create the thing you want to create? And one thing I've noticed is that people who do horror attractions are willing to sacrifice everything. Look, if you do a nice lawn art, uh, lawn uh, haunt, or uh, there's, there's, there's different scalable things where you're just putting something together for the night, okay. But then there's people who really spend months and months and days on end, all their time focused on making something that's going to be so special just for you to go through. Yeah. I grew up being very lucky, always having a house on a street 
that had a haunt. And it was like amazing to me because Christmas time, you just drive by, you don't go inside. You look at the lights on the outside, you see the tree they have on the inside, and that's it. And Halloween was always, come in. Come in. We've made something for you. We want you to scream. We want you to laugh. We want you to go through something and have this kind of catharsis in a weird way and, ha- and just freak out. And so I really wanted to capture my movie, the love and the passion, the enthusiasm, and the sacrifice. But then I thought, as the more I kept filming, the more haunts that I filmed, the more I was realizing, if I capture the people, if I get a monster, a home haunter, and the most extreme haunt of all time, and let's see where it goes. But look, I filmed so many other haunts. I had a, the first cut of this movie was an hour and 45 minutes, and I had a ton of other haunts. Sure. But once I was done, it was like, this should just be called, you know, Hauntastic. Take a look at all these haunts. Yeah, here. Hauntapalooza. Hauntapalooza. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was like the yeah. do of haunt. Which, movies. by the way, I will watch. Oh, I know. Like yeah. I, I love, I love, I w- w- what was such a pleasant surprise and what I didn't, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I love the deep diviness of 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 your movie, and it was like uh, ever since I saw. Um, the American Scream. I watch it every year, and I always wanted another experience like that. And this felt like the American Scream for adults. Um, do you yeah. know what I mean? No, because it's, it, it's funny. I had started filming my movie, and then the American Scream came out. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I watched it. They're such different movies. They are. And I was like, when I watched the American Scream, I loved it so much. But one thing that was interesting about the American Scream, and I, I've watched it a bunch of times. It's one of those, like, it's... It's my, you know, it's hot cocoa. I fucking love it. Yeah. It makes me feel good. Watch it every year. But the thing that's so funny about it is there's a part where they show that there's other, like, you know, yard haunters, but they never mention that there's a um, a whole haunt industry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be make sure that no matter what I do, I want to mention and show that, yeah, there's a massive industry that's out there. And now let's go deep, deep, deep dive into the relationships into everything, and also into the, at the time I was filming it, it, there was really a giant controversy about these extreme haunts. I want to drill in, so I, something you said really hit me, so you're talking about the sacrifice, and of course the first thing that comes to mind is Char, who you just mentioned, um, which is, it's, you know, just to sum that up briefly for people who are listening, to remind you, she's the character, scare actor who has been doing it for years and has injuries. I mean, 40 years. Insanity. And she has a lot of back injuries. She has a ton of injuries from people that were either getting scared and they would have fight or flight. Yep. But then other people that would just jump on top of her and yep. beat her up. Yep. And so she, uh, she, but she keeps doing it. But she's crying on camera because oh she might not be able to keep doing it despite, right? So this is something she lives for and she's like one of the most memorable film characters ever. Um, but I want to, I want to take it a step further because it, it hadn't occurred to me really like to think of Russ McCamey as someone who's like sacrificing because I just, your first instinct, you look at him, and you're just like, this fucking weirdo. So, but when you say uh, you wanted to capture uh, the sacrifice people will make to bring this to people, you know, I think about he and his wife and what they've dealt with with, like, um, their neighbors and the law and, like, all the stuff that, like, m- most people would be like, all right, this isn't worth it. 
but he just keeps going because he needs to do this thing. And I wonder, I need your insights. I need your behind the scenes. I need to know what it was like to be there. Tell me everything. I will. I mean, first, one thing about Char. I love Char so much. And it's such a trip. People, A lot of people were even asking me when they were looking at it, like, why would she keep doing this? And I don't narrate the movie because I really want people to... I want to show everything, and then I want you to make up your own mind and have your own debate. But the thing that's... I Oh, I never questioned. Watching yeah. her, I was like, well, I completely understand. This is, I, she, she wants to be near the most magical thing she can think of all the time. And for her, that's the most magical experience. I can see why someone might go, why would she keep doing that? But yeah, if, I, if she gets, if she's to hurt, me, I'm like, no, I totally get it. To me, I was that's just, where she's. That's the only place she's alive. Exactly. You know? And the other thing, too, is it's like I look at her like a professional athlete. You know, oh, yeah. A professional athlete would want to, oh, my God, you know, Muhammad Ali just kept staying into the ring, you know. And so it's that whole thing where she, it's amazing because it, the physical dedication, the emotional, and the time. And I was just talking to her, too, because she's just, she's talking about another interactive experience she's so excited about going to. And she's like, this, this thing that's happening, it's going to be so scary. It's for 11 <laughs> nights. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? I mean, She's when I so interviewed fun. her, there was a time when I would actually interview. I don't own a camera, so what I would do is I'd rent camera equipment from Thursday afternoon and return it Monday morning. That counts as one day. So oh, uh huh, business I days. I would do. Yeah. You got it. So I would have these crazy shoots, and sometimes I would interview fourteen people in one day. And one of the people I planned to interview was Shar. And she said so many eye-opening things that I never heard the expression "haunt widow" before. Oh. She, that was the first time I ever heard it was when she said it. Yeah. And I just kept going, oh, my God, she is such a heart of this movie. Yeah. And I just, I, I'm so glad that I got to meet her making this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that we've become such good friends. I love her husband. I love her daughter, yeah. who was never around while I was filming. And it killed me, killed me, because it's, it's just amazing. Because her daughter is such a good scare actor, too. And, oh, my God, it's it's, it's so incredible. Charming. The problem with making a documentary is that you have to stop. Yeah. I would just, if I, <laughs> if I kept going, oh, my God, it would be so great. Anyways, with Russ, the first time I saw anything of McKamey Manor was, it really freaked me out. I thought, But I also thought, this can't be real. Uh-huh. I mean, he says, you don't want to do this. Well, remember the ad for the Evil Dead remake where it was uh, the most terrifying experience of your life? Well, it's never the most terrifying, you know, it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. So you just hear that horror trope. You don't want to do this. And then you look at the videos and I'm going, oh my God, who would do this? This is crazy. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? And well, and then you go down an internet rabbit hole where oh, you yeah. then, I, I remember I spent hours watching like watching his videos and people's reaction videos, the stuff he's filmed. And then you see people, you, he's like, oh, well, none of that's real. That's all smoke and mirrors. Like it doesn't actually portray what really happens in my thing. And I'm just like, fuck you, dude. Because now, like even, because you want to go like, well, I've got you pegged. I see what's happening here. And he's like, well, that's not all of it. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah, whatever he said, smoke and mirrors, I was just like, well, what do you consider real, dude? I know. But it's effective. Like what he's doing, it's like fucking with my mind where I'm like, oh my God. Like He's he's P.T. Barnum and a game show host in the middle of Saw on the Titanic. It's wild. Like, he really is, like, the craziest thing ever. And, he, look, when I f- first reached out to him and told him I'm making a documentary, he called me at midnight. He's like, hello there. Oh, Christ. This is Russ. I'm like, no, no, we don't, we don't need to do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. And he's like, 
the only way I'll let you film me is if you go through it. Oh, please. And I said, that's not going to happen, dude. That's not going to happen. I said, I, w- I do want to film you. He loves you. poking people. Oh, he being does. Like, Are you Look, gonna... This is, his, this oh is what he lives for. And so I basically said to him, here's what we'll do. I'm going to spend the weekend with you guys. I'm going to stay at your house for the weekend. I invited myself to stay yeah. at their weekend. Yeah. I said, let me interview you, you guys. Kinda, it seems to me like you knew what he would respond to. By you just being like, here's what I'm going to do. Like, mm-hmm. you felt like you needed to show him that you could, like, puff up, too. You know a what? Bit, which he... is so interesting because that's not a skill that, like, that's such a different... Being a filmmaker, especially a documentary filmmaker, and having to, like, code switch between... To, to, to help draw out of people what you, like, want to get from them. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it, but I'm just going, like, you, you for you to be... Your instinct to be like, all right, here's what we're going to do. You know what's funny, though? It's like, you know, I, I wish it was, like, that premeditated. It really was just, like... I it's just, an instinct. It, as though. I'm talking, it is an instinct. Because yeah. as I'm talking on the phone, I'm like, you know what? Let's just spend the weekend together. I'll film you. I'll have a lot of I'll, very extensive interviews with you. And at the end of the weekend, you either sign the piece of paper saying that you're in my movie or you don't. That's smart. And that's it. But also, I, you know, look, I want to make sure when I'm making a movie, a documentary, that I'm not exploiting anybody. Because sometimes you watch a documentary and it really feels like... You feel gross about you it. You do feel gross yeah. about it. Like the, like the person behind the camera is doing something now to either make fun of that person or, or paint them in a real negative light. I really wanted... I mean, the wor- to me, the worst thing you could ever do, the amount of movies that come out where it's like, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys... And here they come, and right. it's like you it's know a what? Tight little package, right? Yeah. And for me, it's always like, I mean, I love that movie, um, Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood's movie with uh, Gene Hackman, Morgan Freeman. Clint Eastwood is a a killer that hasn't been a killer in a long time. Oh, uh huh. And then, yeah. and then that's the one where they say it's a funny thing killing a man. You take everything away that they've ever been and everything that they'll ever be. And it's like every once in a while, there's a line that like, sticks in with you. But what was so interesting in that movie is there are zero good guys in that movie. Everyone's just a complicated character and a complicated mess. And what I really wanted with my movie was to capture how everybody has is like a shade has shades of gray, but also if you. There's definitely some things that, look, with McKinney Manor, that for me, it totally crosses the line. For me, it's way too much. Once you get rid of a safe word, you don't, it's, it, you don't have a safe word. There's no way for someone to get out. To me, that's way too much. And I, I told it to Russ. I, I mean, yeah. I asked him like 800 times on camera, like, are, are you going to have a safe word now? Like, I, I was hoping the movie was going to end with him having a safe word. You know, and it really it disturbed me that there was no safe word for that. But I wanted to make sure that when you met Russ, at least once... Not the whole movie, but at least one time I want you to empathize with everyone in the movie. Yeah. At least one time. Because once you empathize with somebody once, you can still judge them later and go, yeah, you know, it's this, this one part of you is really sweet, but why are you doing this to people? <laughs> I love that you're taking care of all these dogs, but there's people in your backyard screaming for help. You know, it's like <laughs> there's something about that. And the more you learn about people and you learn about um, both sides of them, the more complicated it gets, the better the debate gets. For sure. I love that. So with Russ, it just, um, I didn't, I couldn't believe when I, when I spent the weekend there too, that was a trip. And that's when they had, they had 12 dogs then. And they were all special needs dogs, all of them. So they would have to like get up at like uh, two in the morning to spoon feed this one dog medicine. They're doing this, they're doing that. And you're just like, oh my God. 
it was so crazy. And then that's so what's so what uh, you're to hear you say that about trying to make sure that you're showing like the empathy or, or giving the audience a peek into that. Um, I think something that that really did that for me, like the linchpin for me with with this McKamey Manor stuff was this neighbor of theirs. Grace. I I was floored at the idea that there's this woman. Like, I think I said out loud, no, when I realized where it was going, that she was like, yeah, I, you know, I, I was like, this is insane. And then to find out she did it and to find out she needed to go back, I was like, this is, this is what makes me, I'm with you. I couldn't possibly go through, like, McKamey Manor. I don't want people shoving food in my mouth, no. like, rotten eggs and bugs and um, waterboarding me. I can't do that, and I don't need to do that. But I can understand intellectually why someone would go, this helps me get over my rape trauma, right? Like, I, I can intellectually understand that. Yeah, I like, I like the illusion of danger, not the danger part. Yeah. You know, I mean, I love, I love delusion. I film so much of delusion. Basically, the... If you buy the DVD. Oh, my friend Dasha was in your movie, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, Dasha. Dasha Kittred. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's great. great. And I just, I loved her in Delusion. I mean, I've, I've done Delusion every year. I filmed so much of Delusion. And it was, oh, God, I it was so hard cutting them down from the movie because I had so much amazing footage of them. But you, you have to make decisions and you have to have a focus and you have to have a story with a beginning, a middle, and end. You have to make it a movie and not... Uh, one person who saw like the hour 45 cut goes, I love this so much. It's like this buffet of everything from the hot world. I was like, I'm not spending all this time making a buffet. I need to really tell a story. You have to kill your darling. You have to. And so with Delusion, they're in it for that scene where we say, what do we think the future of haunting is? And for me, yeah, the future of haunting is really immersive, interactive, theatrical experiences. They can be big, like Delusion, or uh, intimate like the willows from what I hear, mm-hmm. or like what what Murder Co is about to do. Um, uh, John Cook, who did some of my favorite haunted houses in Not Scary Farm, has made his own independent haunt that's going to be year round. It's the first rated R escape room. Ooh! It looks so amazing. He took gave me a tour. You know, I got some haunt cred. So yeah, this is really I, I love you it. Do and I. He showed it to me, and I was like, oh, my God. It's like what you want an escape room to actually be. Like, if you don't escape, something happens to you. Yes. That's a real consequence. If you do, something else happens to you that's crazy, too. There, It's part haunt, part escape room, part really interactive. Like, it's not just, like, puzzle solving. It's puzzle solving, but with some really gruesome stuff. I have to say, like, I... I'm so impressed with what he's doing. That's what I, I love about it. But actually, the things I had, a lot of things I cut out of my movie, I actually have bonus features. I don't know if you had a chance to see those yet. But like, no. So if you get the iTunes extras or you get the DVD or the Blu-ray, it comes with 30 minutes of bonus features. The bonus features are like, you got a lot more delusion. You get a lot more John Murray at Universal Studios. Fun. And you get to see the first home haunt he ever did. Oh, I've heard him talk about that so the much. Star Wars Haunted House. And yeah. you have the photographs. We have the photographs. Cute. We also have Scare School at Knott's. And there's even Haunted Overload with a giant skull. You get oh, into uh-huh. their story. Oh, wow. Um, the thing is with Haunted Overload is I, 
only had so many days I was able to film with them because they were in New Hampshire. You know, it's not a giant budget movie. Right. You know, I did a Kickstarter and we raised $37,383. That's nothing. Yeah. You know, and I, and then for a movie. And then a lot of that went to making really great shirts and things I was giving to people, you know, because yeah. I wanted to make sure people felt like they got something cool. I did put in more money, but it's still, it's a very low budget movie. Mm-hmm. And so on the reason. It doesn't show. Thank I you. Mean, Look, that was the thing. I, I, yeah. I wanted it to feel. Like, if I felt like if I had to come out in front of the movie and go, oh, guys, look, uh, what I wanted to do was this, and this is what happened, then, boom, failure. I wanted this to be a movie that you could know nothing about it. You can know nothing about haunting. You know mm-hmm. nothing about anything. It's just a good story. Just, mm-hmm. That's what I want. And I went after my favorite musicians, and I got every single person I went after. You, know, you got really magical music oh in that movie. Oh, my God. Ryan yeah. Gosling is singing in the movie. Yeah. There's about one part, because yeah. I have Dead Man's Bones music. It's only because Monique Powell from Save Ferris invited me to her Hanukkah party. I grew up in Orange County. I saw the first Save Ferris show ever. I've been friends with Mo forever. And she's just really cool. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe I'll meet somebody that knows something about Dead Man's Bones. First person she introduces me to, she's like, I want you to meet Alexander Burke. I think the two of you are going to be best friends. You guys have to meet each other. And I said, why? Does he know anything about Dead Man's Bones? And he looked at me, he's like, are you joking? I'm like, what? He's like, I recorded that album at my house. Wow. I did that album. Like, what? I tell him all about what I'm trying to do. He does an email introduction with me and Dead Man's Bones and the record label. It took me two days to come up with what I'm going to say because I was so, I don't want to mess this up. And then I ended up getting two Dead Man's Bones songs. And then Alex was really into what I was doing. And he's like, I'd love to help out with more music with you. And he introduced me to Neil Baldock. Neil Baldock. Okay, so Alexander Burke, by the way, not only did uh, worked on Dead Man's Bones album, he also recorded uh, Fiona Apple, works with David Lynch. I mean, this guy's amazing. And then he introduced me to Neil Baldock. Neil Baldock, who has worked with um, Kanye West, Wilco, Radiohead. Okay. These guys are like, we'd love to help out. Oh, my God. You know, and then while that's happening, I wanted them to do all the monster music and the Donald music. The music that had, like, a lot of, like, Halloween-y heart. Yeah. Like, that could go guilty pleasure, but isn't going to be guilty pleasure. Right. And then I wanted it to get dark and creepy. I wanted the music of Jonathan Snipes, who did the music to Room 237. I bought that soundtrack on vinyl. I don't buy a lot of, like... Final soundtracks, but I was obsessed with that. I played it over and over again. A friend of mine came over and goes, that's Jonathan Snipes. I'm like, yeah. He's like, I know him. He calls him. He comes over. I was like, would you do any music for my movie? He goes, no, I just did Room 237. You know, it's a really good movie. Yeah. I'm like, I get it. I got it. Let me show you some raw footage. And I'm showing him raw footage of the movie because at that point I had nothing edited. Mm -hmm. This is before Kickstarter, before any of that stuff. I got my music before any of that stuff. He's watching the raw footage. He goes, show me more of Russ. He's like, I want to see more of him. And then he watched five hours of raw footage of Russ. And he goes, I will do a McKamey Manor theme song. And he did the McKamey Manor theme song for the movie. And then it it just kept going on from there. There There's a band called Empty Set that he introduced me to. He's like, you have to check out this band. Because I was looking for the song for the third act when you go into McKamey Manor and it's really, 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 really disturbing. And I wanted it to feel the way it feels. Like when you're at McKamey Manor, it feels like a prolonged panic attack. 
I had panic attacks in there. It really bothered yeah, me. Yeah, tell me about that. Okay, so... So filming at McCain... Like, filming at McCain Manor was like... Because you went from, I'm just going to come stay with you for a weekend, decide or not, and then obviously you got more access. Yes, I got more. Well, so after he that... he was like, this guy's all right. And he figured, I guess he, like, assumed you were going to... Or he got he came to trust you. Well, he had the idea that other people did after they saw how... The questions I was asking, what I was doing, that, like, okay... This isn't going to be cheesy. Mm-hmm. We're not going to make everyone look like a bunch of goofballs. Right. I'm asking a lot of questions about relationships. And and I'm it's a real deep dive. So he got the idea that, and I, 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 I told him too, I'm not doing an expose, but I will show you exactly as you are. That is exactly what I'm here to do. And for better or for worse, people are going to see what really goes on. And that statement made him nervous. And there were times where in the beginning he was like, I don't want this part. And I said, here's the deal. You don't get to decide that. You could just not let me come back. Yeah. But I want to, I have to be able to have all access. And so he gave me all access. And what was interesting is what's happening in McKinney Manor, you're seeing it in the order that I was seeing it. Like, when you first see those crazy videos, that's how I felt when I first watched those videos. I was like, what maniac is making these? Yeah. And then, like, well, this is the maniac who's making them. So when you first meet him... And you're like, what? Yeah, when you he- first meet him, too, you're just like, oh, my God. Then you hear Grace's voice saying, they look like normal people, but they're not. <laughs> I was like, whoa. I mean, I, the first time you meet them, it is like a horror film. And I told him, when we first meet you in the movie, it's probably going to be like a horror film. Because yeah. <laughs> you, you come off that way, dude. Sure. Look at you, Look at what you made. And, and then I was filming him while he was trying to go pro. And that was really interesting. It was really yeah. interesting to hear. And then to hear what that lady, um, at oh, the, the one at who the owns the ranch, oh bless god. her little heart. Oh my God. She's like, oh, he's just a giant teddy bear. And he's like, I knew he had an avocation for making haunted houses in his own backyard. So I said, what about, and I'm, I love that. It's absolutely one of my favorite parts of the movie. I love her so much. The amount of she's legal great. work I had to do so that we could keep that Mickey Mouse sweater she's wearing. Oh. I didn't blur shit out because I did yeah. a lot of <laughs> spent yeah. a lot of money on lawyers. Yeah. But it's so funny to see her how she sees Russ. She sees Russ in a different light because she sees him as the wedding singer guy. Yeah. And before my the trailer for my movie, oh God, nobody the, knew that he was a wedding you're singer. You're reminding me of your intercuts. I didn't know that either, oh but God, the cutting the, between him singing at the wedding and then the, the people vomiting him. all over themselves I and told eating him, it. I Ugh. said, by the way, once he, it was in the first set in an interview that I found out that he was a wedding singer. And I was floored. And You're I, like, you can't write this shit. I said to him, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you singing at a wedding, and then I'm going to do a slow split screen to someone, something terrible happening. And he was like, you're going to do that? I was like, yes. He was like, that's that's really cool. Yeah. Like he, he got excited by that. And I, but I all I kept thinking was like, I'm sure he thinks it's cool because it's like his both, his two different worlds. But for anybody else, it's like, this is, that's wild. That is so wild when you're thinking a wedding singer. And look at the footage too because he's such a hands-on wedding singer. Look how he puts his arms around people and he's all like, he's grabbing them and he's dancing around. He's like, He's like the most aggro wedding singer ever. And then yeah. he's the most aggro haunter ever, you yeah. know? So that to me, like that split screen, that was like one of the greatest Wild. moments ever, getting that. But then it, then we got to the point where he's rebuilding in his backyard. And 
then I finally filmed someone go through it. And it, the first time was was Ryan and Steve, the guys with the, the Mario Brothers. They were dressed yeah. up as, as the Mario Brothers. And um, they did a test run with somebody else before I went there. And his, Russ's camera got destroyed during the test. And so I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to be able to film this? I'm using rental equipment. Right. So I had like figure out I had waterproofed everything and I was just, and I was, and I was really nervous too. Cause I didn't know what I'm, what am I going to do when I start seeing this stuff happen? And it really, it, it really freaked me out. And they, I mean, the rooms are so small. The rooms are in McKamey Manor are like kind of four by four ish. And sometimes there's like eight people in one room. There's a lot of things going on and it's so, um, it was just so intense that and stuff so will traumatize crazy. you even if you're not the subject of it. Just to be in that enclosed space and there's like liquid flying and people screaming. And I had to run out a bunch because it was just I, I it was way too much for me. And well, one of them was um, I I told this story before. I know if you stop me if you've heard it, but Christina Buster when she went through, um, there was a part where she just went. She flew in from Kuwait. She's yeah, a, you know, I remember her. Okay. So I love her line where she says, you know, the, um, she, uh, what she hates most about Kuwait is that they don't celebrate Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's the problem. Right. But, um, <laughs> but she flew 19 hours to go experience this and she went into shock and it was like really clear yeah. that she went into shock. And yeah. I basically st- st- said to Russ, stop, stop. This has to stop. She's gone into shock. And he's like... Heshi and I just picked her up. I dropped my camera and picked her up and walked her inside. And we sat on the couch and I was just staring at her. And like 30 minutes later, she snapped out of it. She says, why am I not in the hunt anymore? I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, uh, what happened? I said, you went into shock and I brought and you in here. Her brain just blinked out and, and checked her out of the situation. Totally checked out. <gasps> and she said, I flew 19 hours for this. Put me back in the hunt. How dare you? And she got real mad at me. Then Russ came out, and he's like, hey, baby girl, how you doing? He's, like, trying to be nice to her, and she said, screw you, put me back in that haunt. And then Holy shit. she just kept in yelling at him, and he's like, fine. And then he puts her through it. Four more hours. Oh, my God. And so she did six hours total. And then, then she was thanking everybody, and she did it two more times. She flew in more times to go do it again. Um you know, there was one guy that went through it. His name's Rudy. And, oh, my God. I wanted to use this footage so badly, but it would have sucked all the oxygen out of the whole movie. Nothing bothered him. None of it. There's a part where he has a goatee, and they said, what if we shave your facial hair? Just And he's like, that'll be strange at work tomorrow. So they shaved half his head and half his goatee, and he's like, I'll go to work like this. Then they put a, a tarantula on his face. And he goes, oh, it's a brown recluse. I love those. Then they drown him and they go, what do you think of that? And he's like, I think it was terrible. It was awful. And then Russ was like, does anything scare you? He's like, I mean, maybe my wife. So then Russ Holy is like, shit, get his wife dude. on the phone. Get his wife on the phone. And there's a part where he's blindfolded and his wife takes, oh, she's there now. And she takes the, oh, the hose, the garden hose and puts it right to his face. And she says, bark like a dog and he went oh no and she starts spraying water up his nose and it was like all of a sudden the most aggressive stuff I've seen the entire time his wife just went crazy on him 
And at the end, Russ was like, would, you, would the two of you work at my haunt? And they're like, yeah. And I said, how did you two meet? And she's like, in an online uh, poetry chat room. He was the only one that took the poetry seriously. And I was like, oh, my God. And, of course, they're an S&M couple. And that was a trip. They were just so interesting. But they, they didn't, you know, they really wanted there to be a safe word in there, too, for other people. Because they could take it. Right. But for other people, they wanted them to be able to have a safe word. But anyways, being in there while you had to, like, while these things are happening, it really felt like being inside of um, a real, like, Rob Zombie movie. Because in a, like, a Rob Zombie movie, there's, like, especially, like, Devil's Rejects or whatever, there's those prolonged scenes where, or even, like, think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the dinner scene, where they're all kind of making fun of the girl while she's screaming for help, and they're going, oh, help me, help me, and they're doing that. It's awful. It's awful. And there's no, like, music to make you feel like it's a movie. It's just a lot of awful. Awful. And they're just going back and forth, uh, making their faces back at her. And... It had that feeling, and it would go. It would go on for hours, and it was. Um, it was just a trip because I always wondered what was Russ doing behind the camera. Like what? What is his face doing? And so, I. I really. It was one of the most important parts of the movie to me was to film his face while he's filming people, and when you watch his face while he's filming, he's like in this kind of trance. It, his whole face changes. His voice changes, too, when he talks to people. He puts on that McKimmy Manor voice. And he t- talks that way the whole time. And he's just like, all right. And there was even a time when he turned on me and said, everyone grab him. And they, they all picked me up, and they started duct taping me. And then I said, I screamed, Russ, Russ, Russ. And I said, I didn't sign the waiver. I'm going to sue you. He's like, put him down, put him down. <laughs> but it was like... um. It was the wild, the strangest experience ever, and there was a reason why I wanted to film some people looking at their own footage in the movie. Yeah, you to that, see that was fascinating. Because that's the thing; it's such a trip that there's a part of the movie where you, where you actually get to see people watching what they went through, and all of a sudden they're getting emotional, and they've changed their mind about what their experience was. And they even say they, they were going to end up working there, you know, because most people who do it, it's like Fight Club. Once you do it, then all of a sudden you're in and you do it to other people. So it's like a fraternity. It's like a story. Only for fraternities and stories, people have actually died pledging. Right. right. You know, so. But then there were the people who really wanted to do it to other people. Like that part when that woman says, I want to act here. I said, why? And she goes, because I want to hurt. And she's like, no, I want to make other people feel the way I felt. And it was, like, so interesting to hear her and hear those guys talk about it because it's almost like that's the real cycle of abuse. If someone does something to you and you can't make it stop and you feel so small and you feel bullied, then there's either two things that happen to you. You want to do that to somebody else to feel strong or you want to make sure that it can never happen to anybody else. You know, I was bullied growing up. Donald was bullied growing up. And, you know, I had a real emotional reaction to watching these things, these, these moments happening. And I also had to remind myself that they had watched hours and hours and hours of videos 
of people screaming for help and Russ saying, you're not going to get out of here. And then they signed up to go do this. But the thing is, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it smells like. You don't know what it feels like to have someone touch you that way. It becomes a very different thing when you're in it. And the thing that made Russ so fascinating to me and why McKamey Manor is such a big chunk of the movie is because this is the most extreme thing ever. When you ask the question, how far is too far, and the fact that there is a living, breathing example of how far is too far that's out there, the fact that it's attached, it was attached to his house. I mean... An extension of his life. Not yeah. just a hobby, but like... This is it. And what was so interesting, when his part got bigger, then people who knew nothing about haunts, not only knew nothing about haunts, I was testing this movie out on people who hated Halloween and haunts and people who loved it. And the thing that was so fascinating is, when there was more Russ, people started falling in love with Char and Donald even more. There was one cup where people were saying, well, I guess they're all a bunch of, they're all kind of crazy. I was like, so what was that? <laughs> That's what you got from this? Right. I, I was like, no, no, no. And I really wanted the dark to emphasize the light. And it really does it. Yeah. And there are moments in this movie where you can feel emotional, where it's almost like kind of tearjerker moments. And there are moments that are hilarious. And there's moments that are like, will turn your stomach. Yeah. And make you feel totally like you've just been turned inside out. But my hope is by the end, you feel strangely inspired. And you feel how you feel after you've gone through the craziest horror attraction of all time. You've got the whole range of emotions. And there's those two parts in the movie. There's the part where Char says that it makes you feel like a kid again. Three parts of the movie. There's the part where you see the soldiers in the war zone going through a haunted house. So, uh, that, that was crazy. That was a, we had to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to use that footage. That's right. That, that we had to get through you know, some government clearance to be able to show you that. And what kind of haunt do people in an active military war zone want to do? A boo scare maze. <laughs> and then they're screaming their heads off. And when the kid that says, if you go through that haunt, you'll feel like a man. From Char saying, it makes <laughs> you feel like a kid, to a little boy saying, it makes you feel like a man. This is like the ultimate double-edged rites of passage. This is the greatest escape for children to feel brave and for adults to feel like it's okay to crumble. Like, I, when I was filming this movie, there was a part, there was a time when I was out to dinner with my family in Orange County and someone's kid was on the floor rocking back and forth and screaming his head off and crying at a restaurant. And I remember just going, oh, I want to do that right now. <laughs> I'm so frustrated. I'm so like, I, I'm having a bad day too. You want to say to the kid, try paying your bills, <laughs> right? Like yeah, you, think, you think life is hard now. Oh, please. Yeah. But you know that kid is having the best night's sleep. Yeah. You know? And I, yeah. And he's getting it all out. He's getting it yeah. all out. And, and you're not allowed to do that. No. And that's what, <laughs> like for me, I really believe that there's a therapeutic value of getting scared. Yeah. I, I, I call it scarapy. No, how have I never thought of that? You know, it's it's a thing where it's like, you know, I wanted to talk about that in the movie. 
but I was afraid that if I if I talk about anything in the movie, then I have to comment on everything. And I really didn't want to comment on McKamey Manor because I want people to, when the movie's over, have a debate, have a fight, have a conversation. But you're not going to tell people I'm how to feel. I'm not going to tell you how it. to feel. I want you to feel that way. Yeah. You know, it's every time we showed the movie, there's always one or two people who are like, I've got to try Jessica Cameron, after she saw it, she's like, i got to try it. And she's been trying to do it ever since the movie was over. I'm like, are you, she, he'll shave your head. My hair will grow back. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's, didn't she watch the movie? Yeah, there were some people who were really excited about doing it again. Are there also a couple of people who come away from everyone, like, completely furious that it exists and, like, No, probably? there's more than a couple. Like, when we showed it... I can imagine some people walking away being like, fuck this. Oh, look, <laughs> being it, really it's angry. the same thing that happens when you look at the YouTube comments. 90% is a lot of people. I'm not going to add a percentage. Screw it. There is a lot of people who want to see McKamey Manor burned to the ground. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people who want to do it and like that it exists. So, I mean, that was the thing that was so crazy. It's like... We showed it at Fantastic Fest, and our screening was the the, the Saturday afternoon screening of the uh, of Fantastic Fest, and it was so sold out they had to give us the biggest theater in, at the festival. Every seat was taken, and they brought in folding chairs. It was massive, and the reactions were so insane. People were screaming and laughing and cheering, and then getting disgusted mm-hmm. and freaked out, and really, it was just wild. And there were so many people there that were just like, oh, my God, that Russ is a maniac. And then there were other people there that, you know, wanted to try it, that, that were really thought that was just mesmerizing that it exists. That, but Char was with me, and a line formed to people that just got in line to hug Char. Yeah. And then there's people who, you know, absolutely love the movie, and there's people who just absolutely hate the movie and get really, really upset about it. And it's funny because I, you know, I, I want everyone to like the movie, sure. you know. Of course. But at the same time, some of my favorite movies that I have loved forever, people either love it or they hate it. Yeah. You know, usually if you get everyone going, yeah, it's good, then it's like what wallpaper. You know, I'm okay with the fact that this is a a polarizing film. Because there's a polarizing person in the movie who's yeah. got the most controversial horror attraction on the planet. You know, but the one thing that can't be denied is it's a really good movie with really great stories. It's an emotional experience and it helps open up the subculture so that people can go in and see and go, wait, these aren't just boo scare mazes. There's an entire world. Mm-hmm. And only like a hundred times do people say, McCamey Manor is not a normal haunt. Something wrong with that guy. They, every haunt person from every walk of life was complaining about him, right? Yeah. And what's fun is when people see the movie and then get the bonus features and then it's just, because when you see the bonus features, you'll see why they weren't in the movie too, because they they don't quite connect, but they're great stories. Sure. Oh my God. They're so great. And there's so much footage that I cut out. I had the LA Haunted Hayride in there. And you see the fighting over what's going to be in the Hayride, what isn't intercut with them talking about it, trying to make it, to then the actual footage of what it was. You know, it's just tough, you know. Well, I think 
the the important thing is that you you've made a movie that's about something very specific, which yeah. is which I'm with you. A lot of my favorite documentaries are about like something you've never known about before. Um, tickled, you know, oh my god, like that, how right? Crazy is Where that? you just like it's such a deep dive into one thing, but at the same time, if you can also manage to make it a story about human beings. And the human experience that you're right, you can show it to people. It doesn't mean everyone's going to love it, but you can show it to people from all walks of life and to people who have no idea about this world and they're going to find it compelling, whether they like it or hate it. Anyway, it really is like I wanted to make a movie about haunted houses for Halloween. I ended up making a movie about people's relationships and society's relationship with fear. And then it was like, wow, this is really about how haunted houses for Halloween have spawned a subculture of full contact extreme haunts. How did it happen and how far is too far? And it, when that when that movie started taking shape, it really was like, oh, because the first cut, the haunt history section was 22 minutes of haunt history. And then you met the characters in the movie, which is crazy. Only yeah. a lunatic would make a movie <laughs> like that. Yeah. And with this, it was, I'm so proud of our 10-minute haunt history section because in 10 minutes, you get how they were started, who the innovators were, how haunts have always been, haunts and horror have always been escape, and then specifically 2001, right after September 11th, what happened? 2008, what happened? And how, wow, during the, the worst act of terror on American soil people went to the haunted house industry and went to horror for escape. During the financial meltdown of 2008, people went to haunts. And we kept showing how during times of political uncertainty, during times of extreme fear, you know, people go to haunts to, in, in like a George Romero kind of way, you know, you use horror to reflect society so we can face it and confront it and then feel ourselves overcome it in a way in a really wild way. Like, look at how healing the movie Get Out is for people. You know, it's an, it was an amazing experience in the theater to mm-hmm. see that movie. To have a... a, a you can actually have a, dis, a discussion about race relations in America and be entertained and scream and laugh and freak out and then have it affect you even deeper. And to see that, wow, the war on terror really is what brought us saw and hostile. And then... Of course, it's on the big screen, and now it's in an attraction, and it's putting you through that very thing. You know, it's just so interesting that 2017 was the biggest year of Halloween history. Halloween made $9.1 billion last year. Mm -hmm. $9.1 billion. That's the biggest it's ever been. And, of course... It's the most polarizing time. Everyone's online. Everyone's either on this side of the fence, that side of the fence. It's either, you know, whatever. Russians, whatever it is. Everyone's arguing. Everyone's, it's all cranked up to 11, and most people's Thanksgiving suck. (laughs) My Thanksgiving was terrible. Yeah. It was awful. And um, it was a whole, we're not going to talk about the whole thing that we should talk about. Yeah. We're not going to talk about it. And yeah. of course, it's just like, pass the stuffing. Oh, you mean you wanted something <laughs> for nothing? Oh, you shut up. You're like, oh, I want to yeah. build a wall of mashed potatoes. Don't do it. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so great that you can use something like horror and fantasy. It was so great to see the Oscars and to see 
horror and fantasy is what people are turning to to reward because they're looking at it and they're seeing society. You know, when, you know, during the whole Iraq war, when the movie V for Vendetta came out, it was just like, oh my God, it felt like it was about right this, this moment right now. Every once in a while, a piece of art can do that. But that's the thing with these haunts is that at the time that we were filming it, I was thinking, oh my God, is something so crazy going to happen in one of these extreme haunts that it's all going to stop? And a lot of people felt that way too. And now we, we see, no, the, the future of haunting is what we were kind of predicting. You know, it's actually going to be more interactive and immersive, which is fantastic. Yeah. It's great. That's a lot better. I mean, 17th Door is so fantastic because it's yeah. a bit of the extreme, a bit of the interactive, a bit of the theatrical. You actually, and there's a safe word. Mm-hmm. And when you use it, it's not over. You can just skip that room and go to the next one. I love that. That's cool. Because you can test yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, there's so much more footage that I want to share with people too. And I even filmed this amazing scare study put on by the University of Pittsburgh at the at an extreme haunt where they scan people's brains before and after going oh, to an extreme cool. hunt. And there was I didn't put it in the movie because the the conclusions of the study weren't finished yet. That study concludes in four months. So I've been talking with them still. Got to do part two. Well, I'm going to film them. I want to do a series. Yeah. So we've been actually been in a lot of meetings about doing Haunters as a TV series. Cool. Yes. And it won't be like, you know, let's just have a goofy, you know, Haunted House TV show. No. We're going to go even deeper. And I've I've been talking to certain attractions, specific attractions I've been talking to. And there's very, there's so many amazing stories that I want to discuss. There's this one that sent me these DVDs of what they did in the 80s. And, oh my God, I wanted that in the movie. But it needs to be its own story. It's just, yeah. it's like someone made an interactive haunt in the 80s that was like, un- with a moat, with a fire-breathing dragon, you got in a boat, <laughs> you went through their giant castle mansion with hidden passageways in their home. He spent $100,000 every year and let 1,000 people in wow. and they didn't charge a penny and it was like oh my god there are, the, there are so many crazy stories and people from Japan have been reaching out to me and in Mexico and all all over the, the globe have been reaching out saying I, I, there's something I want to show you that I'm working on part two oh series dude series, <laughs> series. Pro- problem with the movie you gotta stick to that plot you gotta like be focused on this plot and just move forward. That's a right. TV series, man, I can do every episode a do. deep dive into another different subgenre and just real and really be like, here's those fun home haunts right here. Oh, here's a psychological terror experience. Yeah. And then really go into it, these really great deep dive moments. It's really gonna be fun. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. You got it. Uh, did you have fun? Yeah, it's been great talking to you, man. Good, good, good. I'm thrilled to have like finally met you for real because we've like said hi at like a convention. <laughs> Internet friend. That's you right. You exist. That's true. So happy haunting.
Well, so you go to like hauntersmovie.com. Hauntersmovie.com. Go to hauntersmovie.com. I was see just what's on there last night, internet stalking you, checking it out. The website's really cool. Thank yeah, if you, you want to. And you can watch the movie as I did. Uh, what did I do? Netflix. It was, uh, was it on Netflix? I was going to say I would have paid for it, but I can't remember anymore it's, whether I did or whether it was it's on, on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's on a lot of other platforms. The only So you can watch it on Netflix. The only way to get the bonus features is if you get the iTunes extras. Or if you get the DVD or the Blu-ray, and you can get those on Amazon, you can get those. There's a lot of different ways. If you go to hauntersmovie.com, click the buy button, there's like, it shows you all the different ways you can get it. That sounds like a really good incentive to spend some money on this movie. Like, that, those features sound amazing to me. Oh, so there's this one if you're person. listening, don't go watch it on Netflix. Go, go on iTunes, hey. go on Amazon, do whatever you got to do. Go on the website. Watch it on Netflix too, man. But when you and tell a friend, it tell a friend, yeah. Because when you, this is such a passion project. This is such a small movie that feels so big. And I really, people said yes to me. And those the musicians, some of those musicians worked with me for two years, and they just, I, I was like, it'd be great if we had a choir. It'd be great if for Donald we had kids' music, had kids' instruments to represent his past. I show up, there's kids' instruments, there's a choir. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. And they just kept working with me. So, you know, that's the thing, too. It's like if you're really passionate about something, if there's something you really want to do, if people feel like you're never going to stop until it gets done and you're not going to stop until you feel like it is the best it can possibly be, you'll be surprised at how infectious your enthusiasm can be and it'll just bring people on board that just constantly inspire you. I'm like so lucky. When I look at the credits for my movie, I'm so inspired by every single person that worked on this, from the the arts for the drawings to the actual haunt head creation to the animated opening title sequence yeah. that just feels like this is like a big massive movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so proud of it, and I really, That's I can't, awesome. I can't even get over. It. I can't believe it's on Netflix. Yeah. When I found out we got Netflix, I lost yeah. my mind. Yeah. I lost of my course. mind. So look, it's it's a big deal. Check out the bonus features if you want to go into a deeper dive and get like a little taste of what the TV series will will, will be kind of like. It's a great little teaser of that in 30 minutes of cool stuff and. Yeah, they'll, we'll, be, we'll have a lot of other events coming up and going to be at the Spook Show, the sixth annual Spook Show in La Mirada at the Halloween Club. Gonna, oh, I don't know about that. We're going to have a Haunter's panel. Donald is going to be there. Awesome. Shar uh, is going to be there. I'm pretty sure Donald's wife is going to be there too. This is going to be really fun. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, no, we're going to, there's going to be a lot of appearances. We're going to do more screenings. There's going to be more fun stuff. Haunters lives on. It does. Yeah. It really does. I'm really excited. Well, about everyone who's listening, go watch it, tell a friend, um, and like, Sweet dreams or whatever. Happy haunting. <laughs> Happy haunting. Well, there you have it. I hope you learned as much from that as I did. I'm so happy I got to sit down with John, and I can't wait to see what he has in store next. We'll see you soon for the next installment in our Behind the Screams interview series. Until then, and as always... Beware the moon.